Well, good evening, everybody. This is Kelly Morris, and welcome to Bike Talk at KPFK. This evening, we're going to be talking about how to be a safe cyclist. So, Jim, why don't you start off by introducing yourself, telling us a little bit about who you are and why you're qualified to talk about bicycle safety. Thanks for having me on. My name is Jim Barras. I live in San Diego. I've been a bicycling instructor for the League of American Bicyclists since 1985 and more recently have become a trainer for uh, league cycling instructors. I got into bicycling because I was a cheap college student and found that uh, getting around by bicycle was not only fun, but saved me some money. Got into some club rides, uh, got motivated to ride the uh, Adventure Cycling's uh, Bicentennial Ride in 1976 across the U.S. was a ride leader for some of that. Since then, I've been uh, an advocate and instructor trying to help people realize that there are things to learn that can make you uh, safer and more competent on the road. And uh, trying to help out, I tell my students I'm trying to save the world by and for bicycling, and it's become more of an issue now with uh, issues of climate change and congestion and uh, roadway safety, obesity. There's all kinds of reasons to be promoting bicycling, and I'm glad to be in a position to do it. Well, thank you, Jim. I mean, you're my hero in bicycle instruction. (laughs) I've worked with you a few times when you've taught other people how to become league cycling instructors, and you do a great job. I mean, what an inspiration you are. I I just love you. (laughs) So here's your number one fan, and uh, I love what you're saying about how there are things that we can do as bicyclists to make us safer on the roads. Yep. So do you find that people actually believe that or do they have to be convinced by coming to a class? One of the hardest parts is convincing people that there's anything to learn. Okay. Uh, Often my elevator speech is, you know, somebody says, what do you do while I teach bicycling? And they say, well, what's to learn? I already know how to ride a bike. And what do you say? What do you say to them when they say that? Well, I, say, when's the last time you rode, and why don't you ride to work, or why don't you use it more? And most of the time, they say, well, traffic, it's too scary out there. Mm-hmm. And what I try to get across in the classes and to the instructors is that out on the road, we're not so much dealing with cars as we're dealing with drivers of cars and knowing uh, the laws and how to communicate with folks about what you intend to do, plan to do, or want to do. Uh, can help everybody get along uh, better. Okay. I think uh, the the laws for the laws and the culture about how to get along in traffic are are part of the communication effort. They're, they're the pre communication that sets up. You ride on the right, and you follow the rules. You stop at stop signs, and then beyond that, uh, and we get into talking about lane positioning and, in a sense, communicating with other road users out there mm-hmm. and. Uh, and it is difficult to convince people until they get out and do it. I most recently been had the opportunity to teach the league smart cycling course to the over 40 highway patrol officers, most of the ones who do public information mm-hmm. officers. And um, it's really interesting to uh, hear from them at first 
oh, it's scary, and uh, I can't do that, I can't get in the lane, I can't make a left turn. And then we uh, get out and do it, and they become believers. Uh, it usually takes uh, some experience out there rather than just talking about it. That's been successful. Okay. Um, and Charlie, why don't you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about how you're involved with uh, bicycle safety? Are you there, Charlie? He's out walking the coast. I guess so. We lost No, him. no, no. Sorry. I hit my mute button, and I forgot I have to turn it back on before I start blabbering. That Here we go. Works. Can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> yes. So, uh, I'm Charlie Gandy. I uh, got to uh, celebrate my first decade as a Californian uh, in January. Moved here mm-hmm. from Austin, Texas. Have been involved with bicycling professionally since 1990. I've essentially made a career out of bike advocacy and um, and consulting related to active living, bicycling and walking and running uh, and trail work. And so, uh, and, and I, yeah, I share uh, admiration for uh, Jim and the, the, as a leader nationally in the bike education movement, I have dabbled in bike education uh, with you, uh, Kelly, and others here in Los Angeles in the last couple of years with children, uh, but I don't claim any, I don't claim deep knowledge of, uh, as Jim does. Mm-hmm. What I do understand is that the environment in which we're operating in uh, makes a huge difference, and so I've been an advocate for infrastructure improvements for bicycling uh, nationally. So wait a minute, Charlie, wait a minute, Charlie. Let's make sure we define what infrastructure is. uh, Bicycle lanes, bicycle facilities of different types, um, as well as for pedestrian stuff. Heard an interesting statistic at at Interbike, the bike industry uh, trade show last month in Reno. They said since 1998, uh, the United States has invested about... $13 $13 billion in a variety of bicycle uh, and pedestrian facilities around the country in some 36,000 projects that have been completed uh, since 98. Before that, we didn't have any money at all for bicycle facilities, and it showed. Uh, now, those of us, particularly the Californians, uh, uh, see and, and, and appreciate the facilities that are out there. We share Jim's concern and what this conversation is about, and that is how do we open people's eyes to the opportunity to uh, lift their hands off their steering wheel and put it on their handlebars for those short trips and or longer trips as they become more uh, proficient and so forth. Uh, And I think that's the topic tonight, and I look forward to to playing a small role. Oh, great. Thank you very much. Um, I I had an interesting conversation today with uh, Colin Bogart at the Los Angeles County Bicycle Coalition. And we were both talking about how we commute with our bikes. We, I take my bike shopping. He commutes to work um, from Pasadena to downtown Los Angeles. And we were both saying how we see a lot of videos on Facebook of confrontations between cyclists and motorists. And they're really kind of scary, some of them where motorists are hitting cyclists or slamming on the brakes in front of them. And we were both kind of scratching our heads and saying to ourselves, we've never had those kind of encounters with motorists. 
And we were wondering how how you guys have, have you had those kind of encounters with motorists, angry motorists that are that look like they're aiming for you? And wh- why do you think those sort of things happen? I don't have many examples of that. I have a lot of examples of inattentive motorists or motorists screwing up and moving, turning in front of me or cutting me off in one way or another, just not seeing me. And so I'm, I'm familiar with those stories as well. I think, you know, um, as a armchair psychologist, I can see where uh, motorist anger is involved here and uh, sometimes bicyclist anger and or their fear of being hurt. Sometimes uh, inexperienced cyclists will overreact um, and, and one, they're not in the right place to begin with, and then they wonder why the car why they had a close call with that car, and the, and the response is out of their fear to become angry. Uh, I have noticed that. I've also noticed that as motorists, it's doing the same damn thing. And so um, in this case, it's about teaching them how to ride right and get gaining some confidence and some skills so that they're in the right place on the road so that they avoid those circumstances. So you're bringing it back around to the importance of really learning how to ride in a safe manner on the roads. Oh, I think there's a direct relationship there between my communication as a bicyclist to motorists and their response to that. If I'm riding predictably, if I'm using hand signals, if then they're not getting excited or angry or upset or fearful that they're going to hit me, uh, if uh, if they saw the opposite of that, erratic uh, and and dangerous uh, bicycle riding. Okay, okay. Um, I followed the uh, fear. Uh, of encounters and bought myself a couple of those video cameras that are so cool, uh, the Fly 6 for the rear and the Fly 12 for the front. Okay. I don't want to them in. And I got them so that I could, uh, like a lot of people do, record crashes and so I, whoever was at fault could be held accountable. I don't have any of those encounters. It was a real waste of time. <laughs> you know, I bought I those too, Jim. I, I bought those and I thought, why did I buy these? I don't, I really don't have those kind of encounters. It's interesting. I think um, as, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going through an evolution from my point of view. There's big changes in who and how we use the roadway. I won't even get into scooters and, and shared bike stuff, but there's, more and more reasons and more and more people out there on the road who aren't in cars. And people in cars are, um, even I, <clears throat> need to know how to deal with that. And it, regardless of what somebody's riding, I don't like any jerk out in front of me uh, making moves too slowly or, or not signaling their turns or making mistakes, whether they're in a car or walking or biking. I appreciate competent use of the roadway. And as we train people how to be more competent in the roadway, uh, I think more and more motorists accept that we're out there. There's a saying among uh, bicycle advocates that if we get more butts on bikes, in other words, if we get more people out riding, it'll be safer for everyone because people will be more likely to anticipate that there will be a bicyclist and hopefully those bicyclists are going to be operating appropriately. Mm-hmm. I, this is a KPFK, so I can say my response to the more butts on bikes thing is that we don't want more assholes on bikes. Okay. We need people, 
We don't need people out there. Okay, Jim. Hey, I'm not I'm, I'm not going to go down that line, but I would like to to just uh, uh, put a fine point on that. I was riding in Seattle years ago in downtown, and it felt awkward. Um, and I turned and looked back, and and the car was waiting for me to make the left turn, as opposed to cutting me off. I, I, they were treating me with some respect and uh, as traffic. And that's that's one of the uh, that's that's the key difference between a city that has a lot of people riding bikes and therefore everybody becomes comfortable with uh, that mode of transportation and Los Angeles or places that um, there's not a lot of riding and therefore it's it can be a very hazardous thing uh, because motors don't know how to interface with us safely. Well, you know, I I, I think it depends on what where you're riding in Los Angeles. Now, I personally am spoiled because I live in Long Beach. And not only is there a lot of bike infrastructure in Long Beach, it seems that I have less encounters or close calls with drivers in Long Beach. I'm kind of spoiled. There's, We have had new roundabouts installed in my neighborhood in North Long Beach, which are a delight. It's like a little mini traffic circle at intersections, so and now I don't have to stop, I can just yield and go into the traffic circle and come back out again. So I think it depends. I mean, there's certain parts of L.A. where I'm not going to ride my bike because I don't feel safe there. Uh, different cities yeah, and I got different that. parts of cities have different uh, expectations for what you're going to see. Yes. As I said, there's an evolution going on. About a month ago, I was uh, uh, riding through the neighborhood I live in on an, a collector street, one lane in each direction, and a motorist passed me really closely. And, of course, I caught him at the next intersection because they always have to stop, and I stopped. Right. And he said, get out of the road. And I, he said he expected the bikes don't belong in the roadway. He really thought that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we need to get over, uh, the expectation that roads are for cars and not for anybody else. How do we and do that? People, How do we do that? Well, one way is to be out there appropriately, uh, using the space uh, in, a, in an adult and lawful manner and not causing problems. Okay, uh, another so way is to we interface with the Department of Motor Vehicles to update the driver manual. As I said, I've been training the Highway Patrol folks to understand what to expect from lawfully operating bicyclists. Uh, and even AAA is getting on board, uh, the Auto uh, Association of America and others. And the money, as Charlie was saying, the money that's available for not only infrastructure but programs to teach and promote appropriate traffic use is just huge. Uh, I think primarily from uh, issues of climate change, we're trying to get people to, to make more appropriate choices for their travel, but also also the health industry. It used to be uh, when I encountered uh, uh, doctors or, uh, say, Kaiser or, or a big hospital, their their main push was wear a helmet, wear a helmet, which is important uh, to protect yourself from a crash. But nowadays they're realizing that in order to promote more of an active health, um, active lifestyle, bicycling can fit in very easily. And uh, so there's uh, that other reason. Right? So, I'm, so uh, Jim, I have a question for you. When you are teaching a class, what is the most surprising 
thing that people learned that they had no idea about being safe on a bike? What's the thing that they go, that doesn't make sense? Uh, I can do it in a nutshell, being in the way. Being in the way. Okay, what do you mean by that? Well, there's the concept and in law of right of way. Uh, That means when you're out on the roadway or probably even when you're walking, the space that you occupy and the space in front of you and somewhat to the sides belongs to you in a sense. You're driving along or bicycling along the roadway, and you have the right to use the space you're occupying and the space in front of you. The um, Being in the way means, it, it, from my point of view, taking a space in the lane or on the roadway, which is lawful and safe for you, uh, and making it clear to the other roadway users that this is the right of way that you've established and you have earned it in a sense. Some people call it uh, taking the lane or claiming the lane. But for instance, when a lane is too narrow to share side by side with a motor vehicle, the three options are ride in the lane in front of somebody so they know you're there, they can see you, and they realize that you're going to be occupying that space at my right. Or you can be off to the edge next to the curb and allow them to squeeze by you, which is in many cases too dangerous. That's why we have shared lane marking shows. Or you can call Uber. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And make sure you get one big enough to carry your bike. Okay. (laughs) It's a tough choice in some sense. And the biggest, uh, we have a right to the road. Uh, walking, bicycling, and using any kind of motor vehicle. Uh, it's in the California Vehicle Code, and we have the same rights and responsibilities. But the way you apply that uh, within the law is subject to, do I take the space that I need for my own safety, or can I, when it's safe, courteously, and we push this too, be courteous to let other people buy when you can make space. For instance, I I drive a car and ride a bicycle. I don't like anybody in my way. I don't like anybody in my way. I would rather ride unobstructed than drive unobstructed. But I know I need to share the road, and other people need to know that too. And just because I'm on a bicycle doesn't mean I have that I need to get out of the way of the motorist. We had a, if I can go for another five minutes, had an interaction. (laughs) We'll cut you off when we need to. Okay. I had an opportunity to provide uh, the bicyclist perspective to Oceanside Police Department. They have uh, motor cops out doing uh, traffic enforcement. And part of the training that I did um, with uh, Pete Pensiers was to make it clear to the uh, uh, police officers that there are times when a bicycle rider can lawfully be in the way, be in front of a motorist in a narrow lane, and they're not impeding traffic. Mm -hmm. This was a surprise to those officers. They thought it was a citable offense to be in the way, in front of a motorist, causing that motorist to have to go slow or change lanes. Really? Uh, They thought it was illegal. I can't remember the uh, vehicle code number. It's called impeding traffic. Mm -hmm. uh, So we we disagreed, and I... uh, trying to get along with the officers and said, well, um, we agree to disagree, but how about you check with your city attorney? They agreed that they would 
send in a uh, request for an opinion to the city attorney. And the city attorney got back and said, uh, a bicyclist uh, operating at normal bicycling speed in a roadway, a narrow lane that's too narrow to share, like where you see the sharrows, anything under 14 feet generally is not impeding traffic and subject to citation uh, because they're going as fast as they can. They're going the, the normal speed of that conveyance. Otherwise, since we do have a right to use the roadway, we'd never be able to travel because we're never going to be achieving 45 miles per hour, at least not down, except downhill maybe. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting getting across to them, yes, it's okay for a bicycle rider to be in the way. And that's what I, the biggest concern or uh, aha moment for most of us. Okay, so they were just looking at the vehicle code in in a very narrow way. Yeah. And ideally, if we get appropriately designed infrastructure that makes it so my bicycling doesn't have to slow anybody down and is more comfortable for safe bicycling, say a wide lane or a separated facility where I can get, you know, to the store or wherever I have to go to work, that would be great too. But while we are sharing space, we need to understand how to share that space, and who's got the right to use that space. Bicycle People on bicycles have a right to use the lane space, just like a motorist does. Okay. Well, Charlie, you're kind of quiet. Do you have anything you'd like to add to the conversation? I would, I would love to, to share a couple of stories from Long Beach because it, it's parallel to what Jim was just talking about in Oceanside, and that is when we started putting in bike facilities and sharrows and so forth a few years ago in Long Beach, we had the same conversation with the police officers because uh, they had they had seen bikes as supposed to be on the sidewalk that um, and so forth. And so we brought them up to speed on what the rules of the road were and what these new tools were and what this new communication was. We we a a cliche came out of that that period of time because we could uh, Alan Crawford and I and others could just see it when we would put paint down on the street that had the authority figure the city of Long Beach saying bicyclists belong here um, not only did we get bicyclists using the bike lanes uh, and or the Shiro lanes but we communicated to motorists that that's where they should expect bicyclists to be mm-hmm. and so the cliche of when the authority figure communicates right use you get right use and when the authority figure is silent on it, then people make up their own rules. And oftentimes they're wrong. And so uh, that was a big learning for us. One other big learning that we had was when we were talking to the police chief, I, my job was to talk to all the, police, the departments in the city about how Long Beach was going to become a great bike town and how were you as a police chief going to respond to that agenda. And he said, you know, Charlie, we're going to, treat bicyclists the same way we treat motorists in this town and that is if they're uh, uh, if they're creating a hazard uh, or or riding recklessly as if a motorist was doing likewise we were going to to use whatever the rules are uh, to ticket them uh, reckless riding running a stop sign whatever and the and the inverse is true if that motorist or bicyclist a quiet residential uh, intersection of stop signs and doesn't come to a complete stop but does look both ways and make sure that they're not creating a hazard when they move through that intersection, then we're not going to waste our time on that. That is, is what the mayor has told, uh, has instructed me to do, 
and that's what I've instructed our police officers to do. I think that's good motorist policy, uh, uh, enforcement policy, and I think that's good bicycle enforcement policy. Uh, and uh, and I saw that unfold in Long Beach. That's good. I think uh, Bernard Green has joined the call. Are you there, Bernard? Certainly. Howdy, and thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. Bernard, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Certainly. Uh, my name is Bernard Green. Um, I've been loving and riding bicycles for <laughs> more than eight years now. Um, came to understand the bicycle at a brief time in high school, and it's changed my life ever since. Um, was an LCI for four years and recently had the opportunity to become an LCI coach for the League of American Bicyclists. Okay. And so you all, you trained under Jim Burroughs to become a league cycling instructor coach, correct? Yes, ma'am. That's correct for probably about a year and a half. So he must have been pretty hard-headed, right, Jim, if it took him <laughs> 18 months? No, Bernard's done a great job, and uh, we look forward to having him train some more folks. Oh, that's great. That's great. So thanks for joining the conversation. We're talking about what, why is it important to teach bicycle safety. But you called it something different, Jim. What did you call it? Not bicycle safety, but... I hate, I think it's a negative message to put out a, a call for uh, classes and say, we're going to teach bicycling safety. Okay. Um, what do you prefer? Te- well, uh, bicycle use, uh, increase your competence. Uh, I don't have a good one. But, for instance, we don't teach parachute safety or, or free diving. We, we don't promote it that way. We say, hey, we're going to go scuba diving. Let's learn how. It's, uh, I think it's a negative message. Okay. And one of the, the, the biggest impediment to bicycling is not only the physical skill of owning an appropriate bike, but people are afraid of traffic, and they think they're going to get squished. And it is dangerous out there because you're not protected, for instance. But um, I, I would prefer to promote bicycling as a, a great fitness opportunity, a way to save upwards of $79,000 a year if you can get rid of your car uh, and help save the planet, for that matter. Okay. How about you, Bernard? How, how would, what would you use? Do you like the term bicycle safety, or do you have a different term that you use when you're describing what you do? Uh, I don't necessarily bicycle safety. I do think that's a helpful way to describe what we do, particularly from the framework of the League of American Bicyclists. Um, I have to acknowledge it is a different way how we're teaching people how to, how to cycle. It is a different way than a lot of people ride. Um, so I haven't found like a particular term that's useful in communicating that. Besides, I like to call them bike skills is <laughs> the one that I find most handy. <laughs> okay. Um, and that we're, we're sort of building on top of the foundation that people already have. I'm replacing information that they might have received that can put them in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're really just helping to make people more skillful um, and in turn help people to understand the joys of bicycling in different ways. So, so I like the bike skills. I like that too. I like that too. So can you guys uh, share some of your success stories? <laughs> Kelly, excuse me a second. Uh, this is Charlie. I need to bow out. Here. Oh, Charlie. So, okay. Uh, thank you for the um, invitation. Gentlemen, enjoy the conversation. Thank you. Thanks, Charlie. Good Bye. Bye. Good to talk to you again, Charlie. Uh, I- 
I'm trying to think of a specific instance. I've taught many uh, league cycling instructors in many courses, and it's. I think the most exciting is teaching someone to actually ride a bicycle who's never ridden a bicycle before. Yeah, that's Kids awesome. Are pretty quick to teach, but more and more I've encountered um, adult, usually women, uh, and often new to the country who grew up in a culture where they were discouraged or it was prohibited to get on a bicycle. And they come to the U.S. and realize, for some reason, that it might be fun or be helpful. And after an hour or two, just to see that broad smile and feeling of accomplishment and and the hugs that I get when people uh, cross that threshold of being able to handle a bicycle, that's probably my high point. Mm Mm-hmm. I'll I'll share one of mine. I was at a meeting, uh, a meeting that I would go to almost every week. And there was um, a mature woman there that rode her bike and she was, and I rode my bike to the same meeting and she was sharing with me how afraid she was on the road that she thought somebody was going to hit her. And I shared about the concept of taking the lane because she was riding very close to parked cars. And I told her how why it would be important for her to to ride out in the middle of the lane and to be visible. And she said, that sounds so scary to me. And I said, it does, but you know what? It works. I I saw her next week and she said, I did it. (laughs) I rode in the middle of the lane and you were right. The cars just went around me. It was awesome. I felt so great. I mean, I didn't even have to show her. She just took the initiative and did it and found on her own that it was better and it was safer and much more comfortable for her. Yeah, that's a good one. Hmm, That's wonderful. My experience is around, uh, if I can share, my experience is around the joys of bicycling tend to be relatively simple. Um, whenever I'm cycling, I try to wear like plain clothes to make bicycling as relatable as possible. But um, when people see me or they see that I'm cycling and they see that I'm cycling in plain clothes, it's, I enjoy that that moment of awe, which is like I can bike in what I'm wearing right now. <laughs> I don't have to spend a hundred dollars on bicycle specific clothes or spend a thousand dollars on a nice bike. Um, that's always enjoyable, and particularly changing people, changing the minds of people who don't bicycle already about bicyclists being on the road or a bike lane in particular, taking up space on the road, um, helping them. I always invite them to actually trial bicycling for a day or an hour or five minutes, um, and then just watching that, watching their perspective change over the course of five minutes to be able to experience um, what's really relatively basic, <laughs> using your legs in a circular motion to propel you forward, um, but to be able to see their faces light up <laughs> mm-hmm. and understand both how exciting it is, um, but also how scary it can be to be on a bike on the road, I, I find it be mm-hmm. um, an enjoyable experience every time. So so I, I, I'm kind of curious. We've talked a little bit about bike infrastructure, bike lanes, and I know where I live in Long Beach, we're seeing more and more of them. But we do, I do hear pushback from my neighbors saying that I don't know why they're putting these stinking bike lanes in because nobody's really <laughs> using them. And I wonder if you we, hear that same kind of pushback. Well, we... We hear it enough that we call it, we have a name for it. Oh, what's it called? Bike lash. Bike lash? <laughs> like backlash? Uh-huh. 
Uh, there are folks who think uh, that uh, spending money on facilities are fine as long as they're not slowed down or inconvenient at all. Okay. And, and of course, there's folks who think, well, we're going to see at the next election, California's got this, is it Prop 6? Yes. Which is going to roll back, the, uh, potentially roll back the additional little bit of gas tax that's going to keep our infrastructure uh, usable and safer. And there's a whole bunch of people who don't want to be charged anything <laughs> for their use, their motor vehicle use of the roadway. And it's uh, sad because our roads are crumbling. Oh, yeah. From my point of view and many others, uh, motor vehicle use is subsidized. And maybe in the early years, that was a good thing to get goods back and forth the market and stuff. But uh, from what I understand, Americans are not paying enough to keep up the infrastructure that we're using. And in order to keep it up, uh, we think, I think, everybody should vote no on Prop 6 and make sure that the little bit of money that's added to the cost of gas, which, by the way, I pay for too, and I don't know any bicyclists who don't have cars and don't use gas. Uh, it's important that uh, we pay for what we need to use, and roads are important, smooth roads especially. And uh, folks who... Uh, one of the ways of making, uh, say, a, f- a four-lane arterial road safer, that means a road with two lanes of traffic in each direction, if the volumes warrant it, one way is something called a road diet, where you reduce the number of lanes uh, and put, say, for instance, a center turn lane for both directions or uh, in one way or another, make it so that there's room for bicycling and walking more safely and comfortably. Right. It, it, people who complain about congestion, but at the same time don't allow any money to be spent to provide for transit or bike facilities and alternatives for people, means we're all stuck in our cars. Yeah. Uh, and you experienced it on your way to this meeting. Uh, oh, boy, did we. Oh, my gosh, did we. I mean, we're taking the train. We're taking the train and the subway next time. Yeah. We know what time we'll get here if we take the train and the subway. Bernard, you missed it, but there was the Hollywood Freeway. The four lanes were closed down to two lanes at one point um, because of a accident. And my husband and I were just relaxing in, uh, I wish we could say we were cruising, but we were kind of relaxing in the lane in his convertible because we weren't going anywhere. Okay. So, and then. Yeah, and I imagine that same situation if those 300 people had been on bikes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, we're taking, we are not, we're not going to take the car next time. You know, we're not going to do that. Um, Let me, uh, I happen to have my um, general election book here. So I want to read what they say about uh, state measure six. And it says, eliminate certain road repair and transportation funding, require certain fuel taxes and vehicle fees be approved by the electorate, initiate constitutional amendment, and it repeals the 2017 transportation laws taxes and fees designated for road repair and public transportation. The fiscal impact would be reduced 
ongoing revenues of $5.1 billion from the state fuel and vehicle taxes that mainly would have paid for highway and road maintenance and repairs, as well as transit programs. So that's what Prop 6 is all about. And the folks who are promoting it, uh, actually a former city council member from down here is one of the main promoters, they're lying by saying that the legislature has redirected the gas tax money to non-transportation facilities. This 2017 tax, all that money is earmarked for and only goes to transportation improvements and maintenance. And I I don't see how... you can, with a straight face, drive a car and not want smooth, comfortable roadways that accommodate everybody's use. And, a, it, it, you know, the gas tax hasn't been increased except from 2017 for years. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a, a set dollar amount. It's not a percentage. So as gas costs go up, the tax part does not go up. It's not like a, percent, like a sales tax. So it's it's really sad and and it's sad that the projections the projections of how voting is going to go looks like a lot of people are going to vote uh, to get this prop six vote yes on prop six, which is going to reduce significantly the amount of money that's available to keep us all safe and moving. Really sad. Well, thank you for getting on your soapbox. It sounds like we also need to get on ours and share that with the people that we know and talk about the impact there's going to be. It's interesting that you mentioned this because I was driving. uh, I took the train to a a meeting today in downtown L.A., and then I went, took the train back to the station and drove my car home. And I drove through two cities, a city next door to Long Beach and Long Beach. And I could tell when I passed the border to Long Beach, because all of a sudden, I didn't have to pay a uh, play, uh, stare around the potholes. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it was unbelievable difference between this neighboring city and how how much disrepair their streets are versus the ones in the city where I live. I mean, and mm-hmm. and our whole state could look like that. Yep. Smooth roads are important. Mm-hmm. Um, one concern uh, some of us have about promoting uh, a vote no on six is that, uh, like that bike lash uh, uh, philosophy I've told you about, that we're getting pushback from people who don't want money spent on bike stuff. If bicycle advocates are seen as promoting this, I think some people are going to think, oh, well, they, all the money's going to go to those bike lanes, and we don't want that, and we want free-flowing car traffic. Mm-hmm. So be careful. Be careful how you advocate for it. Okay. So getting rid of potholes. Getting rid of potholes. Did you make uh, injury experience? <clears throat> oh, yeah. Exactly. Bernard, I fell off my bike the other day. <laughs> oh, no. Are you doing all right, Tim? You seem to crash quite mm-hmm. often. Uh-oh. <laughs> the truth is coming out now. I'm hobbling around. I've got fractures in my pelvis. We we teach, and uh, all the other guys teach, and uh, Kelly mentioned, uh, many people ride their bike too close to parked cars. And when they ride uh, too close to parked cars, what we mean by that is within the range of a suddenly opening door. 
if you're riding along next to parked cars and somebody opens a door in front of you, you're going to be what we call doored. You're going to run into that door, and if you hit it at the right angle, your handlebars are going to be twisted to the right, and you will fall to the left on your butt into traffic. Mm-hmm. So we uh, that's another reason for encouraging people to, as we say, claim the lane. I didn't get doored, but I had the same kind of crash. I was riding along in a bike lane, and a branch was blown into my face from a nearby tree, and it caused me to go down just like being doored. I landed on my hip. and uh, So the branch actually hit you? and uh, The branch hit my face and my handlebars. Oh, wow. Just like a door would have done. And uh, what happens is you twist your handlebars to the right, you're going to fall to the left. Of Luckily, course. there wasn't any traffic, uh, but I did get injured, and, and uh, I'm very ashamed for riding so close to the curb. Mm. You know <laughs> what? Been... You know what, Bernard? I I have a solution for Jim. I told him he could get a hand trike. Yes. <laughs> so he can keep he can keep riding. Do you know anybody that has a hand trike? So we can get him a recumbent trike and strap him in and let him just use his hands. And he'll have uh, arms of steel by the time he recovers from this hip. (laughs) That's not a bad idea. Yeah. I plan to heal before I lose any of my (laughs) Well, that might be the plan, but we we want to keep your upper body strength going there, too. So do you have any problem with the bike lash where you are, Bernard? Um, my most common interaction with people who are opposed to bike lanes are um, those that are responding to, well, a multitude of issues. So primarily it, it's kind of shocked when a, when a road changes and it goes from, let's say, two, road, two lanes in their direction to one car lane with a bike lane. Um, that's a shock for people because most people don't tend to be paying attention um, to city council meetings, and they're just kind of shocked and confused and want an explanation. Um, often when they get that explanation, they will be less <laughs> confused and less frustrated. Um, but it's also, I think, a larger concern, which is uh, people don't feel that the money that they're paying into taxes, they're paying into maintaining infrastructure is being used efficiently. Um, and so when they see, for example, money that's being used towards car lanes going towards facilities which aren't necessarily contributing to that general infrastructure maintenance pool um, people are people are concerned and I think frustrated and I think perhaps rightly so um, and so that leads us perhaps back into that <laughs> prop six discussion um, but do you do, do you are you seeing disagreements along those lines um, people ever uh, being proponents of bike lash as a result of um, yeah. specifically saying that bikes aren't paying into the infrastructure pool well, not so, mu- not so much that. For me, I, I, what I hear in where I am in North Long Beach is that when they see infrastructure, when our neighbors see infrastructure, and, and most of this is on Nextdoor, which, you know, the Nextdoor app is mostly yeah. people complain, but um, they talk about, oh, they wasted money putting that stupid little traffic circle in, and what we really need are streetlights. And right. so... Often I'll go on that post and say, it comes from a different pot, guys. It's not coming from the same pot of money. You, you have to right. understand that the, that's federal money for the bike infrastructure. It's not city. Mm-hmm. It's not from the city. 
And then that kind of simmers people down to realize that it's not one big pot and we're we're going to put this this stupid traffic circle in with those flowers in the middle one. What we really need is, you know, a, a better bus stop or a better this or a better that or lights in the alley or things like that. They they most people are not don't aren't aware that funding comes from different places. We um organized opposition here in Solana Beach. Solana Beach is uh along one oh one just north of San Diego. And the the plan for uh traffic calming along one oh one and adjacent streets was to put in some traffic circles, roundabouts like you suggested. Mm-hmm. And the NIMBY neighbors organized, uh, had uh, rallies and petitions against these roundabouts. They thought they were uh, scary, dangerous, and all the experience everybody else has had is that they reduce crashes, they make it safer, calm traffic. And they they prevailed at city council because they had so many people uh and it was an election coming up of city mm. council members. Okay. And so they killed the project. Just killed it. It wasn't specifically for bicycling, although bicyclists were certainly in support and wanted uh, the traffic circles to be put in. Very sad. You know, I did want to bring up that one point. Um, I think Kelly brought it up, and then um, Jim separately. There was a question of what – this is something I hear actually – sort of often, which is, why are you building bike lanes when no one's using the bike lanes that are out there currently? Right, right. <laughs> um, which I don't know that is such an invalid question. Certainly there is use on these bike lanes, but to someone that's only driving, let's say, twice per day down a road, they're not very likely to see, for example, a bicyclist. Um, and so I was, I was wondering if we could perhaps address that. Um, Go for it. Is the type of infrastructure, do you think the type of infrastructure, let's say a bike lane on a street, um, in my area, there's a lot of 45-mile-per-hour roads. Um, simply striping a bike lane down there, do you think that makes people more likely to bike? Or do you think, let's say, protected bike lanes or those bike lanes that are separated from traffic by some type of physical barrier are going to be more likely to attract a greater percentage of the population as opposed to just those people that are hardy or otherwise have a greater a significant amount of support from others? And the latter. Uh, most people, and I, would rather do my bicycling without having to deal with motorists. So if you could separate with some kind of barrier uh, all the places I want to ride, uh, that would be great. Of course, the intersections are difficult to design. Um, so it's, it, it's a no-brainer. I, it, it, it takes adult skills and higher than normal competency to ride safely in traffic on a bicycle than it does to drive a car. And most people don't have that skill, don't have the physical capability, knowledge, and so they don't ride. Putting in, as Charlie, uh, you missed him, he was on the line, Charlie Gandhi, he pointed out that when you put in a bike lane or Sharrows or the Bikes May Useful lane sign or almost anything you do that is an official government invitation for people to ride, more people will ride but even bike lanes are not providing the kind of comfort and um, facility that most people who have lack of skills uh, want to see. Uh, unfortunately, it, we need both. Uh, I cannot ride 
and nobody's going to build a bike a separated bike facility from my house to downtown San Diego. But I ride there frequently. Mm-hmm. So I need to uh-huh. know how to use the roadway. I'm an adult. I'm a competent adult. But building uh, for facilities and roadway conditions for the 8 to 80 group, you know, the children and frail adults, uh, is going to require a change either a radical change in the way people operate their motor vehicles, more like what you encounter in Copenhagen and, and other countries where bicycling is expected and your grandmother might be the person out there on the bike so you ride carefully, and facilities that make uh, the scary intersections and the high-speed roads more comfortable for people, to be honest. Uh-huh. So we got to have this, I yeah, think. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little prejudiced because... I, I've been riding for a long time, and so when I started riding, there were very, very few bike lanes. And so right. I learned how to ride in a more aggressive manner is the best way, but just taking You're the lane. I'm a, I'm a competent rider because yeah. I grew up in, you know, taking the lane and making a merging into traffic and then making that left-hand turn from the left-hand turn lane with traffic and not, I mean, kind of being fearless and a little crazy too, because my husband will tell you that's kind of who I am. But so, so I have a little challenge some every now and then with the bike infrastructure that I see, especially protected bike lanes. I know intellectually that it invites more people out to ride because that's what I hear when I teach a class a bike oh, yeah. a bike skills class there you go that that many of the people that take those classes say i only ride when there's a bike lane i won't ride if there's no bike lane so i know that that's helpful for most people but i also understand that there you can't just as you said jim there's not there's never going to be a time when there's a bike lane from your house to where exactly where you want to go every time you go so you have to also learn how to navigate those streets that don't have bike infrastructure. It's a valuable skill. That's why we teach. Remember, Bernard? Yep. Yep. That's right. So people aren't limited to, let's say, that, that half of the route that will take them, like you said, Jim, from your house to downtown. Like people can ride wherever they want to or wherever they need to. Um, mm-hmm. I, think it, I think it's a valuable skill for sure. Exactly. That's why you teach it. <laughs> yeah, that's why we teach it. I mean, my challenge is I'm I'm teaching some a metro in LA has funded some um, bike skills classes, and it's a series of three classes for beginners. In the third class, we actually take a little three to four mile ride in the streets, and I show them how to navigate different types of situations. But my biggest problem in in Long Beach, where we're having our classes. There's so much bike infrastructure that I can't find streets that don't have it. Isn't that a isn't that a wonderful problem to have? That's terrible. I'm like, what? Don't we have a street? Where's a street with no bike lanes? Come on, where is it? One of the things that is confusing too is that, as I said earlier, we're in an evolution of, of change in how the roads get used, and the traffic engineers and planners are being innovative to come up with different kinds of bike lanes and these green bike lanes and sharrows. And, and it gets confusing 
for the instructors because, as you say, when you set up a, a class, you want people to have an experience of different kind of facilities. In some cases, well, a lot of times we can't find a railroad track to cross, for instance. Right, right. But now they're putting in bike boxes and then left turn bike boxes and all kinds of new things that um, you I and Bernard have to keep up with this stuff so we can help our students uh, and general public to understand just what to expect from those things. I, I know... Uh, when Sharrows first showed up, and still, people ask me all the time, "What does that mean?" It's right, biking with a chevron over it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, well, it's... surprisingly, Jim. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, surprisingly, Jim, it's it's the people that are asking are not just <laughs> the novice riders or people that are interested in biking, but a lot of times our city staff who are responsible for implementing the oh, infrastructure. Gosh, please don't tell uh, me that. One of the most yeah, one of the most common conversations that I'm having is with engineers, planners who are wondering what the best type of bicycle infrastructure is um, and are using specs that would otherwise put the bicyclist or even the, the car driver in more danger or at a higher risk of conflict. So that's, that's one of the most common. Um, I've actually kind of shifted away from teaching Smart Cycling 101 as much as interacting with the professionals who are actually responsible for planning um, street and bicycle facility infrastructure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, from the perspective of a competent bicyclist. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you know, there's, I got to share, you guys will love this. There's a street that I ride on, and every time I ride down it, I really chuckle. It's an east-west street, and as I ride farther east on this street, the shiros start in the middle of the lane, and they slowly <laughs> but surely move closer and closer to the curve. And so yeah. by the time you get to this big intersection, they're actually in so close to the curve that cars park on top of it. And I mm. I just chuckle. I'm like, who put those down there? I mean, mm. come on, well, without proper advice, huh? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it was, it's hilarious to ride down that street. It's only been three or four years, I think, that we've had sheriffs at all. And there's still, well, there's certainly ignorance about what they're all about. But even among bicyclists, I've had several people say, well, you're supposed to ride on the Shero. Well, if we rode on the Shero, you'd be over in the parked cars. I would, yeah, on that street, yes. And it's still evolving. We're still learning how to uh, make things better. And as far as the separate facilities, um, in many cases, the new Class 4 facilities, uh, Caltrans across the nation, they're still learning how to implement them appropriately, especially crossing a driveway or at intersections. And that's why the um, California Bicycle, and uh, what is that? The California Association of Bicycling Organizations. I'm the president. Uh, lobbied Good thing hard. you know the name of it. Yeah, I can't <laughs> even them. <laughs> we lobbied hard to make sure that the Class 4 separated bikeways are not required to be used like bike lanes are. Bike lanes, you're supposed to be in it unless you're passing or avoiding a hazard or, or, or making a left turn. But the separated facilities, we wanted to make sure that the competent cyclist is not stuck in those because I'm very clear that most of those things, uh, while they may provide safe, uh, a safer environment and more comfort, do add to the trip time. They'll slow you down. And they're narrow, so we get... And trying to pass someone is difficult. 
Oh, it's impossible. So it's, I mean, the ones that we have in my neighborhood. Yeah. In fact, there's one that it. Here's a real interesting scenario. It's a it's a two lane highway, one lane in each direction, and there was room for parked cars and a bike lane to the left of the parked cars. What they did is they made a switch. So they switched the bike lane to the curb. So now it's a protected one. They did. They, class forward. Yes. So they did take away parking spaces. And we have had that lane in there for over a year, and people still complain about it. I remember, I mean, we had the thing in about four or five months, and somebody was driving down the street and hit a parked car, and they said it's because of the bike lane. And I'm thinking, <laughs> what? It's because they're drunk or they're, they didn't have control of their car. It had nothing to do with the bike lane. But the issue that I have after over a year of having this, it's very seldom that I ride on those things where there's not something in the bike lane. An obstruction. An obstruction. Right. A and that is a key concern is that the bike lanes are being developed in a way where there's, unfortunately, and I appreciate people are trying new things. I think that experimentation is valuable and get us to a better place down the line. Um, but as it stands, I'm seeing a lot of facilities that are being designed without the consideration, as you said, Jim, of a competent um, cyclist. So riding through a bike lane, oftentimes, like you say, they'll switch the position of the parking in the bike lane where the bike lane is at the curb level. Mm -hmm. um, but then the entire bike lane is within the door zone is what I see most often. Um, yeah. Or you talking about the passenger, the passenger door zone or the drivers? Either the way. Either way. Zone. Either way. Yeah. Right. Which, which there's nowhere to go at that point. You've got the curb on the right hand, parked cars on the left. Yes. Um, your only option is to go into that door. And often the intersection treatments are neglected heavily when that's, in fact, the most dangerous place to be bicycling um, as relates to uh, traffic, traffic statistics as I reviewed yeah. them. So there's a lot of work to be done for sure in terms of developing safe facilities mm -hmm. for competent and curious cyclists. Mm -hmm. Which keeps me involved and energized. It, we're watching, if you're looking, huge changes in a culture that was in the 50s and 60s, maybe in the 70s, car only. And we're, we're being pushed uh, and encouraged to make more appropriate transportation choices. And in, in trying to do that, we're, you know, I've got 30 years at this, almost 40. Uh, it's amazing to watch the the improvements and change and the even the mistakes um, there there's a real effort out there to make things better and we're watching it happen we're living through it yes and I hope somebody writes a book about it are, are you going to write that book Jim no no man why not because uh, I'm too busy uh, healing from my pelvis <laughs> that is not going to fly no 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 <laughs> you have time on your hands now. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to call you on that one. <laughs> yes, I, I should. You may not. You got on one soap, soapbox too many. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that, though, I'm, I'm going to need to sign off pretty soon. Well, I think I think it's about time to wrap up anyway. So that that's you fine. Too. I was yeah yeah. I'll let you off the hook. So do you, do you guys want to have say anything uh, to wrap up? Anything that you'd like to add? Right, right. <laughs> right, right. Okay. How about you? Yeah. 
Well, certainly, Kelly. It's been a pleasure speaking with both of you. Um, I'm excited for the future of bicycling and looking forward to um, making positive contributions towards uh, safe bicycle access to wherever people want to go <laughs> um, moving forward. Well, me too. We're doing it. Yeah. We're all doing it. Keep it up. Okay. Thanks, guys. Again, you're, all right. Again, you're listening now. to Bike Talk on KPFK, and this is Kelly Morris, your host. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group.